if you uh, have your Bible, grab it, turn to the book of 1 John. And if you need a Bible, there is one somewhere under a seat nearby you. Uh, and on page 1021 of that Bible, you will find the book of 1 John. And this is the first week of the next 20 weeks that you're going to hear me say, turn to the book of 1 John. You're like, 20 weeks? There's only five chapters in the book. I know it's going to be glorious, y'all, okay? Um, and uh, we're beginning our fall series today through the book of 1 John. And I, we have been just really, really excited for our study of this together as a church, as we've been working on it as a, a, a staff team since uh, this spring. But um, today, if this is your first Sunday at Harvest, just hear me say this straight out. And if you brought someone to Harvest for the first time, you're going to need to say this to them after. Today is going to feel like a totally different sermon than anyone you've ever kind of sat under here. So if, when you leave, if you brought someone, go, yeah, that was different than it is. Uh, different isn't bad. It's just different, right? And uh, what I want to do today is I want to do some work before the work begins. I want to do some pre-work, okay? Uh, think, think about this. But before a builder ever swings a hammer, they, there's, there's work that has to be done on blueprints. And what am I right? I'm definitely not a builder. Am I right, builders? You got to work on some blueprints and some plans before any of the actual swinging of a hammer begins. Before uh, an, an area I'm a little more um, uh, comfortable with, before a team ever takes the field for a game, there's work. There's, there's work before the work. There's work on game plans and studying game plans and studying film to get yourself ready for the game. Um, I am kind of in a season where I'm in absolute awe of a guy named Alex Honnold. Anyone recognize that, recognize that name, Alex Honnold? Anyone seen a documentary called Free Solo? Anyone seen this movie? Okay. Um, this will blow your mind. How many of you have been to Yosemite? Yosemite? How many of you have seen El Capitan, or however you say it? 3,000-foot granite wall. Um, this guy, Alex, climbed that wall with no ropes by himself. So if, if you're scared of heights, don't look at the screen right now uh, because you, uh, it'll be a bit disorienting. 3,000 feet into the air, no ropes. There is not an amount of money on the earth that you could pay me to do that, right? Anyone with me on that? Like, it's just, there's, there, as, as, as Eric and I were watching this documentary this week, we just had to, like, look away from the screen because our stomachs were just turned upside down. Um, we all know he didn't just walk up to El Cap one day and go, yep, I'm going to climb this, Right? Uh, for 10 years leading up to his climb without ropes, he climbed it almost 50 times with ropes. Um, for As you watch the documentary, and oh, by the way, uh, parents, before you like pull the family up for a Sunday night movie night, you got to know there is some language in this, okay? Like, don't go home and be like, well, pastor said we should all go watch it, okay? Just, just be, okay, you got to know that. So yeah, I didn't get the emails this week of what you do. Um, um, but, but there's this, there's this, there's this scene in, in this where he literally is saying out loud and going through mentally every handhold and every foothold all the way up the 3,000 wall, 3,000 foot wall. 
There's a, uh, there's a part in his climb where he has to do like this karate kick out to the side. He did stretches every night for a year to make sure he could hit that kick and continue his way upward. Um, in, in any great endeavor, in any great project, and on any great journey, there is, it's really important that you do the work in preparation for the work. Am I right? And so today, what's going to make this today's sermon so different is typically when I've started a book of the Bible, we just jump right in. I'm like, turn to 1 John chapter 1. Let's jump into verse 1, and here we go. Uh, today, it's not going to be like that. I want to I wanna kind of lay the foundation of what 1 John is built on. I, I want us to spend some time in the background of what this book is all about and who's writing it and why is he writing it and what's going on in it. And so today is going to have much more of a classroom type feel. So back to school theme. Uh, uh, we're going back to school today. Cool? <laughs> ah, okay. Um, we're, we're, we are, and it's going to be fun. Okay, so here's the three parts to today's sermon. I want us to walk through a very quickly just the background of the book of First John. How many of you uh, saw one of these sitting on a seat when you came in? Yeah, you got them? If there wasn't one on your seat, look around and make sure you leave with one of our resource guides when you walk out of here because we're going to spend some time talking through how do we make the most of this series and how can this tool be helpful in that? And then the last part, I'm so excited for this. We are going to, uh, to close out today's sermon, read the book of 1 John in its entirety. Woo! Yeah? Let's do it. And, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of prep us for that when we get there because we're, we're used to reading like 140 character tweets, not 15 minute long, right? And so um, I'm going to prep us for that when we get there. But I want us to jump right in and I want to talk a little bit about the background and the foundation of this book we're going to be studying together through this fall. And so let's talk, let's talk background here. I think an important place to start when we're talking through background, and oh, by the way, uh, page nine in this book is a place for you to make sermon notes if you want to use that, uh, page nine. Um, anytime we're talking about background of a book, I think it's always important to start with an understanding of who the writer of the book is. And so uh, just, I'm just going to throw this out there. Any guesses who wrote the book of First John? John, very good. Brilliant. Brilliant folks. We're off to a good start. And now if you, if you are newer to the Bible, um, I want to tell you a little bit about who this John is. Uh, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, but we also know this about John. It seemed that he was part of, of even a closer circle to Jesus of one of three disciples. Peter, James, and John, seemed to, um, they seemed to be part of things. And at, at some of the really special moments of Jesus' ministry that some of the other disciples wouldn't have been. And so um, John was a very, very close disciple of Jesus. He was there at Jesus' transfiguration. He was uh, sitting next to Jesus last supper, leaning his head over on Jesus. John is actually the disciple that as Jesus is on the cross and he looks down and he entrusts Mary into John's care. And so this gives you a, a, a bit of uh, an understanding of how close he and Jesus' relationship was. At the time of this writing, John is an, is an old man, uh, probably into his 90s. And so I just kind of want us to, to, 
to just sit in awe of this a bit. We're going to be studying the writings of someone who had a deep, deep, close friendship with Jesus, who then had years and years to live after this, and now as an old man is penning some powerful, powerful words. Oh, by the way, uh, also inspired directly by the Holy Spirit. Like this, this study has a great potential to really change some things about uh, our understanding of who Jesus is and our understanding of the blessings that come from being assured in what Jesus has done. And that kind of leads me to John's purpose. A couple places in this letter, we are going to come across the words, I write these things to you. And now I love statements like that. I love when a book of the Bible just says like, hey, here, here's why this book is written. In a few places we find this in uh, John's letter. And I want you to flip in your Bible to one of these parts towards the end of the letter, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And I want to read for us one of these statements in verse 13. 1 John 5, 13 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's the word? That you may what? That you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, John is writing this letter, and this letter is to give assurance. Thus, the title of our series, Rest Assured. Uh, this letter is seeking to give assurance, and I, and I believe it's seeking to give assurance to Jesus followers on both a corporate level and personally on an individual level. So let's talk about why is John writing to give assurance to a group of believers on a corporate level, on a group level? Here's why. As we get into this study, and especially as we get into chapter 2, there is a group of people who have... Um, it says they've gone out from among us. They've left the gathering of the Jesus followers. They have left the church. And, and they're still trying to influence the people who are still there. This group had left and gone after some, some just destructive, false teaching. And we'll get more into that as we get through the book. But, but imagine this, if you will, kind of to personalize this. Imagine we showed up here next Sunday, and there's only like half of us left because another half has left and gone after some different teaching and the half that's left is talking back to the group here saying hey hey, hey you got to you you you'll never believe this you got to you thought you knew something about Jesus there come come we have special enlightened knowledge that you need to follow and um if all of a sudden a community of Jesus followers was fractured like that it would be a bit disorienting wouldn't it it would be a bit, um, that would shake your foundations of your faith a bit. Am I right? And so John is writing to this group of Jesus followers left who are no doubt wondering, like, are we, are we on the right side of this church split, so to speak? Like, are, are we missing out on something because we're, we, we haven't left with the group that has gone out from among us? And John's writing to give assurance to this group of believers corporately. But what we're also going to find as we make our way through this book is over and over and over again, John is going to say, like, if you, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, 
but this is true of your life or this isn't true of your life. Like he's like, you just got to look and identify, like, do you really, do you really know Jesus? John is writing so that individual followers of Jesus might know, might have assurance of their faith in Christ. I, I love what uh, the ESV study Bible says on this. It says, First uh, John isn't necessarily a book full of do's and don'ts. It's a book about what Christ has done. Come on. And, 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 and as we study this, John is seeking for these believers to, to yes, like, Look at your life. Do you see, like, do you see the fruit of uh, 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 the lordship of Jesus in your life? Okay, you do. Like, rest assured in what Christ has done. Rest assured in your in Christness. But also, he's going to say, like, evaluate. If these things aren't true, like, you need to evaluate whether you truly know Jesus. And so, John is seeking to give assurance on this. And I, I want to, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, one of my favorite, favorite pastors uh, from kind of a generation before. He, as he preached through this book, he says this um, on the topic of John seeking to give assurance. Firstly, we are to be certain about ourselves. We know that we are of God. What is a Christian? Are Christians just people who pay a formal respect to God and to public worship? Are they just mechanically attached to a church? Do they just try to live a good life and to be a little uh, bit better than others? Are they just philanthropists, people who uh, uh, believe in a certain amount of benevolence? They are all of that, of course, but how infinitely more? Now, says John, we know this truth about ourselves as Christians. We are of God. By which he means nothing less than this. We are born of God. We are partakers of the divine nature. We've been born again. We've been born from above. We've been born of the Spirit. We are a new creation. And as we study this, we are going to seek to rest in the truths of what Christ has done. Now, you're at the back of the letter. I want you to turn back to the beginning of the letter, 1 John chapter 1. I want to now tie this in with another statement we find in 1 John 1, 4. Again, we come across the statement. I write these things to you. Look at what 1 John 1, 4 says. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All in favor of a study on that? Come on, raise your hand. Right As we seek to study this book, as we seek to rest assured in what Christ has done, of our standing in Christ, uh, and, 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 and as we rest in that, joy begins to be produced in our life. And I'm just, when we went through Philippians last fall or whatever it was, I say this all the time. I just believe one of the Christian's greatest testimonies is joy. Anyone with me on that? Like, I just don't think God knows anything of a joyless Christian. And now I'm not, I'm not saying some superficial, like, let's just pretend like everything's honky-dory all the time because life's not like that, is it? There's pain. There's hardship. There's like, I'm, but I'm saying the Christian knows some, some persevering joy in the face of all of that because they know the giver of that joy whose name is Jesus. And, and remember, as John writes to them, this is a community of Jesus followers who, like, foundations have just been shaken. People have left. And they're saying, like, you guys don't know the truth. We know the truth. And they've gone after these false teachings. And John is like, hey, 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 hey. 
I want you to be assured. I want you to rest in the assurance. And I want you to know the joy that comes when you rest being assured in Christ. And that's what this book's going to be about. Now, as he pursues this purpose, there's some themes that come out again and again in this book. And I, I want to highlight, I want to highlight some of these themes here. The first theme that we're going to find, and we'll say it like this. Um, true believers, ready? This is deep. True believers believe in the true Jesus. You like that? True believers believe in the true Jesus. John is going to spend time in this book over and over again going, let me come back to Jesus. Let me come back to who he is. Right as he starts the letter that we're going to get into next week, he's like, um, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. He's starting just with remember who Jesus is. And this is a crucial theme for this book because uh, the people who have left or have gone after all these false things that I've said, and, and we'll get into more of kind of the Gnostic teaching of all of this, but they're like, we are really enlightened and you need to come, you need to come know this. And you, th- you thought you knew Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And John's like, no, hold on. Let's stay rooted in who the true Jesus is. Now, We'll step out of John's world for a second and step into our world today where we live. Important for us to spend some time studying who the real Jesus is because we live in a culture, don't we live in a culture in which it's easy for people to just say, "Uh, Jesus is whoever you want to make him to be. And maybe, I mean, I got my undergrad in studies like that. Well, maybe Jesus was this, and maybe Jesus was this. No, maybe Jesus was who the Bible says he is. And, and it's so important that we root ourselves in a following after the true Jesus, because Jesus is so much greater than the figment of our imagination we make him to, to be. Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. The word of God come in flesh, and the word of God given to us tells us who he is. Come on, church, right? And so um, this study will just keep us grounded in who is the true Jesus. True disciples believe in the true Jesus. A second theme that we're going to come across again and again is this. True believers love one another. I mean, John is often referred to as the disciple of love. And you know what I love about his story? He's the same guy who when, they walk, when Jesus, they walked into a town and uh, the town did not accept Jesus or his teaching, it was John and his brother who were like, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on this town right now? And the Lord's like, oh, John. Like, and then, he, now, then he's known as the disciple of love. When, when we read through the whole book here at the, in, a, in just a few minutes, I want you to just take note of how much he says, love one another. Love one another. You can't say that you know Jesus and hate your brother. Love one another. Love one another. And over and over again, I hope by the end of this fall, as we get through this book, like that will be abundantly clear to us how the Lord has called us to love each other. And, and not, just, not just in some kind of superficial, generic sense of, yeah, I, I love them. I love you. Like, like I love pizza and a caramel macchiato. You know, I love you. But like this deep, like loving other believers, yes, in word, but also in deed and in service. I think this book could be a huge catalyst for us to grow 
in greater ways in that. And then this third theme that we'll see. Um, true believers don't live in a pattern of sin and disobedience. Now, hear what I said there. I didn't say true believers don't sin. Um, we say around here all the time, right, that as we follow Jesus, we're, uh, we should see change in our life. Um, not perfectly, but, but what's the word we use? Not perfectly, but, but patternly. And, and, and John is going to spend some time in this letter going like, hey, like if you say you know Jesus, but, but your life would indicate this, if the pattern of your life would indicate this, if, if your life is dominated by these things, you just need to take inventory of your heart. And so uh, this is a theme that we will see throughout the letter as we step through it. Now, I've mentioned as we've talked about the themes that um, uh, we're going to see this, and then we're going to see this again, this recurring nature of it. And that gets at a bit of the style in which John writes his letter. So typically when we study a letter in the Bible, we are used to, it, 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 when you think of a letter in the Bible, what's the, who's the first author that comes to mind? Paul. We're often used to Paul's letter. And if you are a linear thinker, you love Paul's writing, right? He's like, argument one, subpoint A, subpoint B, subpoint 1B. Like, it's so linear. And you can outline Paul's writing so clearly. John's writing here is not linear like that. It's very circular. Uh, it's, uh, um, you know, one scholar says it's, it's kind of the ancient um, version of what's called amplification. John is trying to amplify or make his point by circling back to the same things over and over and over again. And so the book of 1 John has some repetition to it. So if you come in week seven and you're like, man, week seven sounded a lot like week three of the series, it's probably because it does. But here's the cool thing. We could have come to 1 John and just preached the themes of it and then, you know, spent four or five weeks in it and moved on. But, but there's something about if under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes with a repetitive nature to the themes he's bringing up, maybe God wants us to sit in the repetition of that. Come on, right? And, and maybe when we, when we show up and we're like, oh, there, you know, another, John's going back to love one another. And it's like, oh, I need, I need to sit under that. And hear from now a, a, a different vantage point, what he has to say about loving one another and what that looks like for the believer. And so there is going to be a, a bit of a circular and cyclical and repetitive nature as John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is seeking to drive these points home. And so... Um, Remember, we're in the classroom. Uh, a little bit of background, the writer and his purpose and his themes and how these themes are going to come to bear in the style of the, the writing. But before we, uh, before we just read this whole uh, book to kick off this series, I want to just make note of this. And so if you would grab this, um, uh, turn to page nine if you're not already there. Again, if you need one, uh, just look around a seat somewhere by you. And whatever you do, don't leave here today without one. There will be uh, you will no doubt find them around the room as you leave. Make sure you leave with one of these because um, when you walk in here every Sunday, you're used to getting like a bulletin, right? You're not going to get one of those throughout this series, right? And I know some of you are like don't like change. You're like, what? 
because we want you to bring this back with you each and every week. And here's, here's the deal. We're changing up. You're not going to get a bulletin, but you do have more room to take sermon notes in this, right? Can I get an amen for that? And so more room for sermon notes in this, but um, each week is structured uh, with a similar format, with the same format. Each week is broken down into three parts, worship, walk, and witness. Um, And uh, so when you come on a Sunday, there'll be a place for you to take your sermon notes. Um, As if you flip to like page 11, you'll see the beginning of the walk section, and you'll see a section there on personal study. We want to encourage you to take the passage that was preached on Sunday and spend even more time in it during the week studying it for yourself. Um, Howard Hendricks says this, Knowledge that is self-discovered is stored in the deepest part of the mind and remains the longest in the memory. There is no jewel more precious than that which you have mined yourself. So, so you might think, like, why study it more during the week? You just preach like a 40-minute sermon, or if you're a long-winded pastor, a 45-minute sermon on that passage. And I know, but here's the thing about the Word of God. It is this inexhaustible treasure mine. Like, we can preach a 40-minute sermon on four verses, and we, we will have just, like, scratched the surface of what's there. And so what's going to be cool is you sit in this, and you're also, like, you're also checking the work of the person teaching. Like, God actually commends this group of people in the book of Acts, the Bereans, that they would, like, Paul would get up and teach, and they'd go back and, like, search the Hebrew Scripture and be like, yeah, what he said is true. But that's a good thing, and that's a good exercise for us to get into. And so spend some time in personal study of the passage each week. Uh, Flip to page 13, my favorite. I'm most excited about this section right here. That if you don't have a time cut into your week for family worship, this series is a great time for you to start that where you guys can just gather in your living room. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. Maybe you and your spouse and your kids. But gather in your living room. Talk through, hey, here's this. We studied that on Sunday. Here's what I saw in it. And, and bring, out, bring to bear the, the things you've gleaned from your self-study. Spend some time praying over one another as a family. And what makes me so excited is that this series could be a time you begin a set-aside family worship time during your week, but that can continue long after this series is over, that this just becomes a regular rhythm to your week. And now, parents of teens, I know what you're thinking, like, oh my goodness, it's going to be so hard to drag my 14, 15, 16-year-old to uh, 8.30 p.m. on a Wednesday night for some family worship. It might be. Some weeks it might be challenging. Some weeks your 13, 14, 15-year-old might come with a bit of their heels dug in. But I'll tell you something. They will be so grateful at 23, 24, 25 that, they, that you did it. Right? And so just, like, commit to this. Let's spend some time as families. And then um, uh, you can read uh, page 14, just some questions to get you ready for small groups. Small group will always be the best, and you'll glean the most when you come prepared. And then every week ends with what you see on page 16, a witness section. And now, when you come to this page every week, don't see this as like, oh, now I have the assignment to go share the gospel with someone. No, 
what hopefully is happening as we study the word together as a church, as you study the word personally, as you meet as a family, as you meet as a small group, the Lord through the truths in his word is working worship up in your heart. And once worship is worked up in the heart of the Christian, you want to go tell people that. You want to go share that. And so this is intentionally the last page of every week that would just get your mind stirred now of like, okay, who can I just go share some of the truths I've been mining out of 1 John 1, 4? And, and what might God do in someone's life who doesn't even know Jesus yet as I share that with them? Cool? So uh, bring this every single week. Uh, um, please spend some time every morning or a couple mornings a week to mine the truths for yourself. I just think, 1 John, we will glean the most from this series if we do. Then at the end of the series, you'll have this full of the truths that you have taken from this book. You can put it on a bookshelf and you have a study guide that you, sell, you, know, that you did yourself uh, for the book of 1 John to return to for the rest of your life. Okay, now here, here's the deal. Now, the highlight of the morning. We're going to read this book in its entirety. And here's why. Starting next week, we are going to get in such small chunks of this book and dive deep and unpack it. I think it's going to be helpful for us to start by getting a wide-angle view of the whole book and the whole argument of where John is going. But like I said before, this is going to take 15 minutes Right. When's the last time in our culture, in our day and age, we've just just sat and listened to 15 minutes of someone reading, right? But here's what I want to challenge us with. We are going to be reading the Word of God. Think about that. We're going to be reading the Word of God. I love in the book of, of, I think it's Ezra, as Ezra brings the scroll back out and they just start reading it again and people are like weeping and they're worshiping and just the power of the word of God. Come on, right? And so here's the deal. As we read this, I want to encourage our church towards active, worshipful reading. We're going to get seven, eight, nine, ten minutes in, and your mind is going to want to start going, like, what? I'm hungry. What's for lunch? And what are we doing this afternoon? Stay with it. Stay with it. And here's one of the ways that we can stay with it. When, when we read a section and you're like, yes, say yes. And when you read and you're like, amen, amen. And, like, there's something in your heart that wants to respond. Respond. And if we get to a section and you're like worshiping in your heart, put your hands in the air and worship. And if you come to a point that just takes you to your knees, get down on your knees. It's okay. Like, let's interact with the Word of God and let's let the Word of God wash over us in this time right now. So are you ready to kick this series off by reading the whole, the whole book? Say amen. That which was from the beginning which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new command, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For, they, if, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, they all are not of us. But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you, and you all have knowledge. 
write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he had made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that, we have, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, will you stand for the reading of the last chapter? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.